Well, it is a, uh, a blessing, although I probably say it every time, but I mean it every time. It's a blessing to be here uh, with you all again today. I had thought for a, um, a few weeks, or if not months now, that I'd be really keen to go out to Cooma and see the brothers and sisters out there again. So um, it's lovely to be here with you all, uh, and an honour, as always, to bring the word to you today. Um, there's, there's one or two of you, uh, perhaps three or four of you, who may know my name from, uh, from Joel, having said it earlier in the service, but uh, my name's Tobias. I formerly uh, went to a church uh, which had a, I guess, a strong association with this one, at least initially, um, whereby we would send a preacher once every month or so uh, to, to help support the guys here. Um, then later on, uh, these guys here at Kuma sort of got lumped with me, so I've been the, the ongoing uh, help uh, when Scott needs a break. Um, since then, we, we've moved to a, a church very recently um, called City Reach uh, South Tuggeranong, uh, which is a shade closer to here than our former church. Um, and really, there's very little between us as far as doctrine and whatnot goes um, at City Reach to here. So I'm hopeful that the two churches can uh, partner together to do some things in the future. But the, uh, the message today, I've been going through a, a series in 1 Corinthians. Um, we find ourselves in chapter 3. And I've entitled the message, uh, Servants of the King, sorry, Servants of God in the Service of God. I formerly had it as nobodies serving the King, as in people who are meaningless serving the King, but Servants of God in the Service of God is what I've changed it to today, perhaps a little less controversial. And the message, uh, well, the the passage rather than the message, uh, really is about uh, people, in a sense, are are very much just servants of God. Those who serve God are simply there to do just that, to serve God. There isn't to be a pointing towards ourselves. uh, And of all people, Paul says that in this passage. He says, it's not about me. It's not about Apollos. It's not about Cephas. It's not about any of those guys. We simply exist to point the church toward God. And I think if ever there was a, a servant of God who had the smallest right to say, you know, maybe it is a little bit about me, perhaps it would be Paul. But even he says, no, it's not about me at all. It doesn't matter the fact that he was to write a good portion of the New Testament. It's not about him. He simply exists to point others towards God. And some... Uh, in that same kind of vein, uh, indeed some in this congregation, uh, are hesitant to term themselves as Calvinists. And I, I fully appreciate the, the reasoning behind it. You know, we don't want to be seen as those who follow John Calvin. Uh, if we agree with uh, his teaching, uh, well and good, but we don't want to be seen as those who are followers of John Calvin. Rather, we see that John Calvin existed to point others, once again, to Christ. And hence, uh, in fact, even myself more and more as I continue to think through these things, I'm hesitant to call myself a Calvinist and far happier to call myself a a predestinarian, somebody who believes in the doctrine of predestination. But we don't want to be seen as someone who follows John Calvin, rather, just as John Calvin did, uh, a follower of Jesus Christ. And similar, Martin Luther, another uh, reformer, was very hesitant to have any denomination named after him. Uh, rather, he existed to point the church towards Christ. Indeed, he didn't 
aim to create a new denomination. He simply wanted to reform the Catholic Church at that time uh, as it stood. And in the modern day, we have access to to many teachers, many creeds, many confessions, many podcasts. Uh, The list goes on and on and on. And it's wonderful. It really is to use these things. And I think we should use these things uh, for our spiritual growth. Uh, But we are to make sure that we recognize these things as servants. And they're not the, the one or the thing that we are to be pursuing or the thing that we're to be focusing on. In fact, I, I oftentimes pray and potentially have even prayed from this pulpit that we have a, a large level of freedom uh, in regards to our, our ability to meet, in regards to our, uh, the fullness of God's word that we have in front of us uh, and in the numerous types of resources that I mentioned just before. We have great levels of freedom of access. And I often pray that our level of access would be commensurate with our devotion uh, to the God of these things. So we are to use these things, but we're to recognize that it's the God that they point towards that is to be our focus and not the things or the people teaching themselves. So if you're not there already, turn to uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, and in just a second I'll read verses 1 to 15. Uh, but uh, just by way of catch-up from last time uh, in whichever verses I preached through then, something from, uh, well, verses 1 to 4 it was, uh, of chapter 3. The, uh, the sum was this, and there was a series of spiritual maturity equals. So spiritual maturity equals God's body centered around God's word. Spiritual maturity equals the antidote to a lack of sanctification. And spiritual maturity equals a believer who knows means are to focus us on God, not to be the focus. Perhaps in that last point particularly uh, that we find ourselves continuing to to develop that thought today. Let's read verses uh, 1 to 15 of chapter 3 and we'll pray. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you have believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labour. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, 
and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Let's pray. Lord, as the message of the the passage suggests, we are those who exist to point others toward you. May we not think too highly of ourselves, uh, but may we take great joy in as much as we point others to you. You are the one that we come to serve even today, and so would you fill us up for the service of you in this coming week. Sustain us through until next week, where I pray we would be filled up and sent out once more. Glorify your name and and sanctify us in your mercy uh, every time we gather and indeed every day. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So just by way of brief recap, uh, I'll read from uh, verse 3. For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And here we start. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. So we'll be going, uh, what would be usually a long um, passage for me, doing uh, 10, 11 verses. Uh, But I had originally planned to do just verses 5 to 9, and then I realized verses 10 to 15 really are pretty much just Paul reiterating the same message and, and fleshing it out a little bit. So hence I thought we'd do a, a slightly larger chunk than usual. Uh, but rest assured, uh, the amount of time I would usually spend on each verse will not quite be the same throughout the whole passage, so we shouldn't be here for too long. But Paul had criticized the Corinthians for being worldly-minded or merely human, he puts it here, uh, in their immaturity and made specific reference to their jealousy and strife and the forming of factions around certain leaders. And what immediately uh, springs out to me about that is Paul takes no pleasure in the fact that he was one of those leaders whom had a faction put around him. And how different is that, uh, or certainly with the world, but potentially even with uh, leaders within the church today, and indeed, it, uh, it goes along with what I said in the introduction of folks like you know, John Calvin and Martin Luther, great theologians, great uh, thinkers of our, not quite our, our time, but uh, of our period more broadly. You know, they, they took no pleasure in the fact that folks would look to them, in the fact that there could be a, a denomination, a group, whatever it might be, centered around them. And Paul is the same here. He takes no pleasure in the fact that There's a group that's put around him. In fact, potentially, even he's very anti that fact. It's not just as if it's a moot point for him. He's anti the fact that anybody would be looking to him instead of to whom the God that he serves. And so Paul cites his and the other involuntarily appointed faction leaders' insignificance. He says, we are not significant at all. Rather, it's the God that we serve whom you ought to be looking at. Apollos, Paul, and any others are just servants and means used by the Lord to bring his people to himself and to build them up therein. Once they come to Christ, these leaders, their job is to to build up the church, 
to keep pointing them toward Christ, as opposed to ever having people look to themselves. And so in, in challenge of that, I, I'll ask you a rhetorical question. Are you content to just be a servant? If one generation from now, you, know, you, you die whenever you die, and if one, two generations from now, nobody remembers your name, but you did exist to point people towards Christ, would you be content with that fact? I hope so. I hope I would. Now, most translations have servant. Uh, the New King James and the American Standard have minister. But the Greek, uh, to my surprise, is, is diakonoi, deacon. You can hear where we get our English word. Uh, I expected it, uh, prior to looking up the word, to be doulos, a word which we're generally more familiar with, being servant, bondservant, slave. Uh, but in fact, uh, Paul is talking about them being uh, deacons, servants, ministers. And the word means one who executes the commands of another. And so to, to continue to flesh out that question, are you content to just be a servant? Consider this, your entire life calling is to execute the commands of God. Your entire life calling is not primarily about you, but it is about God. You exist to point others to the king. I exist to point others to the king. And once again, that is so, so different from the self-seeking world. It is so different uh, if you work in a, a, secular, uh, a secular environment. It is so different to the culture that it is pushed and pushed in that environment. I tell you this quite readily because I work in a secular environment. But this, we are not to have the world focusing on us but only on our king whom we serve. And we ought to remember as we go about our, our everyday lives, whether we work in a secular environment, whether we work in a church, whether we don't work, whatever we do, we ought to go about our activities every day knowing that we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ no matter where we go. My, my father used to work for the, the American Embassy in, in Canberra quite some time ago now, uh, but I remember the... The, the reverence, I suppose, that I had for the American ambassador at that time. It just seemed like this person had such a high position. In a sense, they represented the entire country uh, to Australia. Of course, they had lots of people working under them, but in a sense, they were the pinnacle. And so it's with uh, similar but even greater reverence that we ought to consider our place in society. Not only do we represent a particular country, uh, but we represent the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the, the one and true God as we go into society. We exist, once again, uh, to point others toward him. Paul says the focus is not him. It's not Apollos. It's not Cephas or Peter or anyone else. He and these other individuals are only servants of their master with the true glory and focus to be him and him only. The Baptist Catechism compiled by Charles Spurgeon, uh, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? And many of you would know the answer, being that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Can I put to you that in humble, non-self-seeking service and obedience to God, 
we will have our greatest enjoyment and will be most glorifying to God. So it can sound uh, potentially a little depressing if we consider uh, the culture around us to say that we're just totally, it's not about us, but not to be self-seeking at all. We're always just existing to point others to, to another. But I would say that in in humble, non-self-seeking service of God, that is where we will find our greatest enjoyment. And I know that personally, I am most satisfied and at greatest enjoyment when I, for instance, lead my wife well, when I spend good time with my children, when I preach the gospel to a stranger, or when I study the word more deeply, all things which, when done rightly, don't point others to me, but point others to my king. When I do those things, and I'm sure you could come up with a list similar, when I do those things is when I have my greatest enjoyment. So it's it's another part of the upside-down kingdom, to use that word or phrase that we use sometimes, to think that when we most point others away from ourselves and to our king is when we'll find our greatest levels of enjoyment. Psalm 73 verses 25 to 26 say, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So evidently the psalmist too uh, believed in this point, that what, what greater pleasure was there than to be in the presence of his king, than to point others to his king. And so the point I draw from this verse is that servants of God are what Christians are. We exist to selflessly and joyfully elevate our king. Verses 6 to 7. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And as I considered those verses, I thought about the the phrase which is sometimes said, what you save someone with is what you save them to. What you save someone with is what you save them to. And if someone is, quote unquote, saved with you as the focus, then you are the focus they have been saved with, and you are the focus they have been saved to. Again, quote unquote around saved. So what a comfort really it is that only God is the true focus. What a comfort that is. What a peaceful encouragement to lose our ego and simply point people to God. And it must have been really quite a load off for Paul and these other leaders to consider that, thank God, we are not the focus. These, these people who we are preaching to, who we're serving, who we're building up, they're not to focus on us. If we were the focus, then we would have to be constantly feeding them to serve us. Their salvation would be dependent upon us. But rather, in as much as these leaders pointed others towards God, they had pointed them towards the right focus. They had saved them with the gospel of Christ. And Christ was the one they had been saved with as the focus. Christ is the one they had been saved to as the focus. And as we know readily from Scripture, Jesus does not lose his sheep. So if you have been saved with Christ, you've been saved to him, your salvation is readily held within him. And what a great comfort that is. Now, it's not to say 
that those who work in evangelism and preaching and teaching should be frivolous. You know, just because uh, the focus is not, is not us, you know, therefore we don't have to worry about what happens from now. You know, those who, who work in these ministries ought to consider what they teach. Indeed, the latter half of verse 10 says, let each one take care how he builds upon it, it being the Christ foundation. So though the focus is is God and absolutely ought to be and continue to be, and, and those who serve him in a very real sense are nobodies, still those who work in that, though people are saved to God with God as the focus, those who labour in teaching ought to be careful as they do so. But not pointing those under your ministry to yourself uh, will be a very, very good start in that regard. Proper care is taken as those evangelizing, preaching, teaching, point those being instructed to God. And in order to, to know we are pointing others to God, we must base our instruction on what? On his word. It's fairly simple, really. So therefore, know God's word, live and teach from it. There's one uh, perhaps caveat to that point, uh, being that Paul is addressing, in a sense, uh, himself and others as a leader, as leaders, I should say, in the church. But if you are a parent, if you've ever told someone about God, if you have any influence over others, if you're a husband, if you have any opportunity to communicate about God, then you work or, or have worked in evangelism, preaching and teaching, at least in the broad sense of the word. And so this verse, this warning, uh, is not just for those who labour in evangelism, preaching and teaching, perhaps from a pulpit, uh, but it is for all who have influence in that, in that way. So one is only truly saved if they are saved by the Lord. God should always be the focus. Now, of course, even if someone is saved with a, a self-focused preacher as the focus, God is able to, to sincerely save them in that. I've probably said before that God is able to strike a straight blow with a crooked stick. And in case that metaphor is lost on you, even through uh, the dodgy theology of someone, God is still able to sincerely save one, someone and to lead them uh, towards a knowledge of the truth. But even if God can strike a straight blow with a crooked stick, we certainly ought not, ought not to be pursuing cro- crooked sticks. So let us seek to preach the gospel, uh, pointing others towards God and God alone. Indeed, the service of God is fruitless unless God is the focus. For as we read in that psalm earlier today, or as Joel, I should say, read, God gives the growth. Psalm 127 verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And isn't that psalm, just as a a by the by, it would have to be one of my favorite verses in scripture, how it speaks about children being a a heritage, an inheritance, a blessing from the Lord, and how contrary is that to the way the world thinks about kids. I think the, the main thrust of how strongly I feel about children uh, probably comes from that verse. And it is far more than just cluckiness, as, as people say. Uh, there is a, a deep and beautiful love that I have, which I think stems from that verse or those verses uh, about children. I think we should, we should all share that. God's ways are better and different to our natural ways. 
Therefore, the growth he gives might look different or happen on a different timetable to ours. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So when we consider the service of God, when we consider growth within the service of God, perhaps the kind of growth that God is looking for in a particular congregation uh, is that of maturity rather than a growth in numbers. Perhaps that's the kind of growth that God might be after. Or perhaps God wants you to grow in learning the secret of contentment in all circumstances rather than increasing your means. We would like for God to uh, grow us in certain ways, I'm sure. I know I I do. But perhaps his, his ideal is different to ours. And in as much as we submit to him in that, uh, once again, we will have far greater measures of true joy. So the points from those verses. Service of God is fruitless unless God gives the growth. So focus on him. And servants of God will grow in accordance with God's will and plans, not necessarily that of our own. Verses 8 and 9. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labour. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. I want you to notice that Paul says that he who plants and he who waters are one. So he tacitly brings correction against the Corinthians' factions. He says... It doesn't matter if you, if you listen to or if you follow Paul or Apollos or Cephas or anybody else. He says, we are one. We exist for one purpose, to point those who listen to us to the God whom we worship. Indeed, Paul has just said, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. He says, we're totally insignificant. We just exist for one purpose. And so to, to apply that a little bit closer to home... It's as if someone in this congregation would say, yeah, I, I really love it when, when Joel takes the service, when he, when he preaches the message. Uh, you know, that's my, my favourite time to be at worship. I'm, I'm a bit of a, a Joel-ian. And then somebody else would come and they would say, well, I love Brother Joel, but, but really I prefer it when Scott takes the service and when, when he preaches the message. You know, I'm a bit of a, a Scottian. But both of these brothers exist to serve God. In a very real sense, they are both nobodies, sorry brother, just as I am. And they are aiming to point the body to Christ. And in that sense, they are indistinguishable in their purpose and aim. So notwithstanding there are different gifts and talents within different individuals in the church, uh, as we read in, in 1 Corinthians 12, But they all, all of these gifts and talents and whatever else, they all, no matter what that, serve the common end of the service of God and the growth of his kingdom. And so it's not to say that those who labour in leadership in the kingdom ought not to be appropriately recognised. Indeed, 1 Timothy 5 verses 17 to 18 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. 
For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labourer deserves his wages, quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. But it is to say that these leaders who should be honoured are never to be the focus. and There are not to be factions around them. We are to follow them in as much as they follow God. And if they are good and godly leaders, they would echo the same statement. In a similar way, as one looks to a map to find a certain destination, so leaders within the church, in some sense, are to be the map which points towards a greater focus. But supposing we looked at a map to get ourselves to a particular destination and then we arrived at the destination and we just kept looking at the map saying, this is a wonderful map. Look at all those roads and rivers and whatever else. But we never actually got out of the car to look at the destination. So we ought not make to make an idol of a leader who points us towards God. They exist to point us towards a greater reality, not to be the reality themselves. And so the point, servants of God are servant nobodies. We exist solely for the common goal of serving God. And verses 10 to 15, I'm going to take as one chunk. So I'll read the whole thing. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So this passage is still describing a bunch of servant nobodies working in God's field, building upon God's foundation, aiming to point the church to Christ. It describes that there are precious materials, There's gold, there's silver, there's precious stones. And there are far more common materials, wood, hay, straw. And with regret, I would say that I think within the church today, there can be a lot of wood, hay and straw. A lot of common and perhaps misguided material that needs to be discerned and looked through. More positively, I think there is also a good presence of of gold and, and silver and precious stones, but sometimes it takes wading through the, uh, the common uh, in order to get to that precious material. But those who produce this wood, hay and straw, this passage would teach, assuming that they are genuine Christians still, uh, that these leaders will be saved, but that the, the day or the day of judgment may not be an easy time for them. It's a very real warning for those who teach and preach in the church to make sure that they have their focus once again on God and that they are preaching rightly from his word. Because all work will be tested. Verse 13 says the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Some work will be burned up 
that which was not done with quality material. And some work will be further refined and the quality even further revealed. That which is built upon Christ, that which is of of good heritage, which is of good teaching, being the gold, the silver, and the precious stones. So I I hope that uh, in whatever ministry I would have and whatever ministry you all would have, uh, that you would aim to produce gold, silver, precious stone, that which would withstand the fire of testing and only be shown to be more pure uh, as opposed to something which will burn up. But I feel also, perhaps as a side point, it's important to say here that works-based salvation is not what's in view in these verses. Uh, And hence, verses 14 and 15 say, if the work that anyone has built on that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. It will be some sort of a reward. Uh, If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So it's not saying that... uh, if we do lots and lots of good things and if we teach in accordance with the word and this and that kind of thing, that kind of vibe, then we'll be saved, we're all good. But if you miss the mark, then you'll be damned. That's not what's in view here. The whole verses, a series of verses is talking about genuine Christians, but regrettably some miss the mark and some hit the mark. The one who does the good work is rewarded The one who does the poor quality work must have been a Christian, but has just done poor quality work. And so they are saved, but only as through fire. I don't like the thought of being saved through fire, so I would like to produce good work. So neither one's work contributes to or takes away from their salvation. But nonetheless, once again, let each one take care how he builds upon it, how he builds upon the Christ foundation. So what does poor quality work look like? What does wood, hay and straw look like in in practical, not necessarily metaphorical terms? And especially what does it look like which is nonetheless laid upon the Christ foundation but just misses the mark? Well, I would say as a, a couple of examples, not an exhaustive list, that work done by genuine believers which misses the mark theologically, could be an example of wood, hay and straw. Where Christians who perhaps rather become overly conscious of social issues, but don't address them from a biblical perspective. And as an example, and maybe you would agree with me, maybe you would disagree with me on this, but it is a fairly concrete example in my mind. Uh, You might remember the, the former leader of the Australian Christian Lobby, of the ACL, uh, Lyle Shelton. So he, uh, during the, the no campaign, you know, don't vote, vote no for, for homosexual marriage, uh, had a, a very, what I would say was a, a pragmatic, conserv- politically conservative point of view. He was pragmatic and he was conservative politically. But I, I think, personally, he missed the mark from a theological perspective. Because a lot of the arguments that he was advocating that people use would be such as vote no for gay marriage because if gay marriage gets in, then there will be this flow-on effect whereby this and that and the next thing will also become accepted in a short period of time. Now, I agree with that statement, but I think it misses the mark theologically. 
And I think it's in contrast to, uh, to his, his successor, Martin Niles, who tends to say, here's what the Bible says, therefore we do that. Because I would put to you that if we address things solely from a, a pragmatic or conservative point of view, then we are, and I want you to hear this clear, clearly-ish, <laughs> I want you to hear this clearly-ish, that uh, if we address things solely from a, a conservative or a pragmatic point of view, I think we are just one opinion of equal value among many, whether we're right or whether we're wrong. Whereas if we address something from the foundation of God's word, in a very real sense, we say this is what the ultimate authority says, full stop, argument over. People might not like you for that, but that is the ultimate authoritative argument. And so all of that big example uh, to say that wood, hay, straw could be work done by genuine believers, I'm not doubting anybody's salvation in, in advocating what Lyle Shelton was saying, but work done by genuine believers which misses the mark theologically. As another example, and much shorter this time, uh, barbecue evangelism. Wonderful. Have, have a church barbecue in the park, invite others along, but let's make sure there's some actual preaching of the gospel going on, not simply just trying to make ourselves seem a little bit more nice to the onlooking world. Or sermons that resemble Bible-ish type anecdotes. I talked to a lady at a wedding a couple of weeks ago, and she was saying how at her church, the word is kind of preached, but it's more like a series of anecdotes with maybe a Bible verse sprinkled in here and there. Now, anecdotes can be good, uh, but the focus, once again, ought to be God and the God of the Bible. So what does good quality work look like? That which is gold, silver, or made of precious stones and laid upon the Christ foundation. Well, in many a sense, the, the opposite of what I've just described. So the service of Christ built upon his own foundation and stemming from the scriptures. If you want to be pleasing to Christ, if you want to build with those precious materials, then read his word, run to what he says is good, and flee as fast as you can from that which he hates. So have awareness of social issues, but address them from a biblical standpoint. Do evangelism, do it in accordance with God's word. And if you are one who is... uh, tasked with preaching, or if you have any influence over others, teach the Bible, point people to the scriptures, because the people, sorry, the scriptures rather, point us to the right focus, point us to God. These kind of things will not be burnt up on the day of judgment, but as I say, will be further refined, will be shown even more beautiful uh, than they came out of uh, nobody's servants like us because they serve the true end, they serve the true God. So the point, service of God, built on the Christ foundation, in accordance with the scriptures, will withstand the fire of testing and be rewarded on judgment day. So in conclusion, really the, the message is very simple. I've spoken for however many, however many minutes, but the, the message, as I've said over and over again, really is to consider ourselves as nothing, 
but to point others towards God. And we will best do that in as much as we know God's word and we operate out of that. It's really a very simple thing, isn't it? We have all of these wonderful means which we ought to use, but at its very core, know God's word and do it. So the five points that I said today, servants of God, and you'll notice it's either servants of God or service of God. Servants of God are what Christians are. We exist to selflessly and joyfully elevate our king. Secondly, service of God is fruitless unless God gives the growth. So focus on him. Thirdly, servants of God will grow in accordance with God's will and plans, not necessarily that of our own. Fourthly, servants of God are servant nobodies. We exist solely for the common goal of serving God. Fifthly and lastly, service of God built on the Christ foundation in accordance with the scriptures will withstand the fire of testing and be rewarded on judgment day. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that though we can speak for for a long or a short time on these issues, that really at its core it is very, very simple. And so I pray, uh, just purely and simply, that we would be a people of your word, that we would love it, that we would put it into place. And as we do that, that by your spirit, you would be pointing others to yourself. Whether that means that we uh, increase in maturity, or whether that means that we increase in number or, or in both, whatever it might be, may we simply find true joy in serving you in accordance with your word, in pointing others, in pointing ourselves to you and you only. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.